All right, how about the word? James chapter 1, verse 2 through 8. I'm going to read this, going to pray, and we're going to get on in, into it. Now, I may preach a little longer than I have of late, but you're all right. You owe, me, you owe me quite a bit of credit. And I heard what Elvia said. She said the service is, is too short. And so, so today, uh, her voice is going to be the majority. <laughs> her voice is going to speak for everybody. It'll take me a little longer to get through this today. But when I finish, though, you, you're going to be glad. You're going to be glad you got it. You're going to be glad that you, that you got it. I'm, I'm going to overcook your grits, but that's all right. You'll still just hold on. Did I tell you what verse? Two through verse eight. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any one of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Lord, I pray that you help me to deliver this with, an, with your anointing, of course. I, I do know that I'm a vessel needing to be filled by you. Pray that you would increase that I will decrease. Pray the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart may be acceptable in your sight. You're my Lord and my Redeemer. I pray for Pastor Alfred there at Bible Baptist and for the CTC campuses and locations in the states and around the world. Trust in you, Lord God, to work in every pulpit in this city that Jesus Christ is exalted as Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, last week, we just, we didn't, spent a lot of time defining who James was writing to. I think we just mostly talked about him. But that first verse tells us that he's writing to what is noted as the 12 tribes of Israel. That's an Old Testament term. Uh, we dove more into this in my CLG, but, but as a, just a quick brush through, it's an Old Testament term because James was writing to Jewish Christians and uh, Many of them had a well understanding of their heritage and their faith, and they all came through the 12 tribes of Israel, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob's name was changed to Israel. Israel had 12 sons, each of whom was identified as the people of God, and it's through the teaching and the ministry and the faith of God through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that it was passed on down to the Jewish people. And, uh, and that led to us having a heritage of faith. Now the Bible calls us the new Israel. All of us who have accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior have been grafted in, and we're part of the new Israel. So he's just using an Old Testament term to define people who are united as one. But they're dispersed or uh, scattered, and they're scattered because of persecution. And where they're scattered to, so James, even though he's the overseer of the church in Jerusalem, which was the largest church after uh, the ascension of Christ, and uh, along with Antioch, certainly one of the most influential. Um, but th so that's where he was. That's where he was the overseer, the elder. But he had a message to all because many from his own church, his own location, had to go to other places because of persecution. And so, so he's writing to many Jewish and Gentile believers as a whole who've had to scatter 
because of that persecution. James wrote in about A.D. 50, and some of the persecution, we, if, if you're in tune with persecuted Christians today or read anything, there is persecution still going on uh, today, and, and some of it is fresh. You could almost open up any one of the Christian news services and, and see what's happening. I just read an article about what's going on in, in Nepal after many years of not persecuting Christians. All of a sudden, there's an uprising again, and Christians are being jailed and tortured and, and killed and ran out of the country. And James, in A.D. 50, that's what was going on there. James was writing to those Christians. And, and, and the interesting thing, he tells them, he, he, he knows that they're suffering. Again, some being killed, some jailed, some tortured, some being ran out of their country. And he starts this letter right out from jump and says, count it all joy. Count it all joy. And I, I want you for a moment just to think back in times in your life when you went through some situations that was really hard, really tough times in your life, and, and what your feeling was, the emotions that you experienced at the time. Was it anger? Was it sad, distraught, maybe uh, desire to be violent or host- hostile? Did you cry? Did you look for an escape mechanism? Did you try to find a place where you could actually land in the place of denial? No matter what that situation was, there's not many that go through those things that don't think they deserve some sympathy, think that people ought to feel sorry for them during that time. And then somebody comes along, you tell them what you're going through, and they, and, and they say to you, oh, heck, suffering? rejoice. It's all good. And that's basically what James did in this letter. Now, one of the things that I know, and I I need you to lean in here and get this, because most times, most times of our life, I pray, as Christians, are wonderful times. Most times are wonderful. But I know that all of us have some times that that are painful. I just want to get this out to you right off the bat. If you're a believer and you have those times that are painful or those times that are challenging, those times that are tough, there's a few things that you should just know right from jump. God is not punishing you. God is not abandoning you. God is not failing you. God is not, God is not uh, necessarily going to give you all the answers to every question. And God might necessarily may not make it feel better at the time. Just get those things out on the table. Here is the thesis of this message. Trials are inevitable and intended by God to deepen our faith and shape our life to be more like Christ. That's just the essence, and that's just the bottom line. Trials happen. Follow this, what James is, is saying. He's, he's, he's letting us know that trials are going to come our way. And they, they could be different. And, you know, it doesn't do us any good to try to compare our situation to other people's situation, you know, to, to have the mindset when somebody telling you they're really struggling with something and then you say, oh, that ain't nothing. Let me tell you mine. You, 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 people's, people, what, how things affect people is different. Uh, and, and everything that causes people any kind of emotional 
internal or even sometimes external response. It's a trial. Another word for it is tribulation. For some, it could be loss of income. For some people, it can be just a leaky ceiling or not sure if, you're, if your car is going to start. It could be more severe, like maybe a, a disease that the doctors can't address or you got an ailing mother that needs some respite care or you have a, 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 the loss of a celebrated relationship with a child. It can be any of those things, something light, something major. But if it causes a sense of hurt, if it causes a sense of sadness and anger, it, it, it's a trial. If it affects you emotionally and mentally and physically and financially or vocationally or socially, parentally or in marriage or spiritually, it's a trial. And any, any of that, uh, the scripture says, can, lets us know that we can be affected by. But here's what Jesus says. Jesus said, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have um, overcome the world. And so Jesus on the one hand makes it clear. He makes an emphatic statement. You're going to have tribulation. That word in the Greek, it, it means pressure. I, I titled this message pressure points. Things that press together, pressing together. Jesus says, you're going to have that. That's going to happen. You're, you're not going to, to get around it. And, and all of us would like to have a life that is almost free from any of those things. Of, of course we would. We, we would want to have that life, and there's nothing wrong with wanting it. I, I read about an, uh, it's called the Eden Project. It was in England, Cornwall, England, uh, where this guy took this particular tree that only grew, grew in particular areas and environments, and he, he uh, set up this, uh, I think they call them biomes, where he put this particular tree in it. He had the air temperature right, uh, had it, uh, obviously pest-free and uh, bacteria-free and all of that, and, and, and uh, just set it up just like the area that he brought the tree from just to see what it would take to have that tree grow in uh, certain, certain uh, earth, uh, other locations. But after a period of time, he saw that the tree was withering and the leaves were starting to fall off. So he brought one of the uh, scientists from the area where he got the tree and asked him to come look at it. He says, everything is in here. He, the scientists check it, and, and everything was right. And then the guy said, but there's one problem. He said, what is that? He says, there's no wind in here. This tree will not grow without pressure. It has to have pressure from the wind for this tree to thrive. And that's the same way with our life. We would love to have a bacteria-free, environment-free uh, anger-free, sadness-free, despairing-free, trouble-free, tribulation-free, trial-free life. But you're not going to grow. You, you won't grow. You, you won't be any better. You, you won't, and now I'm getting ahead of my message. But you won't know what it's like to absolutely have a faith in the Lord Jesus Christ in all things who is absolutely sovereign over every situation in your life. And I need you to understand this. There is nothing that takes place in your life that God did not know was coming. That God did not know that was happening. And that's where trust and confidence in him comes. And I'll, I think I'll address that uh, a little bit more. But, but James, uh, James says, consider it all joy. It's a command. It's, a, it's, a, it's an imperative. The problem is, though, as I stated earlier, oftentimes 
you know, when, when we're going through those situations, we, we want to learn, we want to grow, but at, at the moment maybe want some sympathy. And, and, and we'll get to that. We'll realize that maybe sympathy is not what we need. But I'm going to tell you what we don't need. What we don't need is no religious cheerleaders. What we don't need is folks when I'm going through a situation and they, and they come up to you, oh, you got trial? How about some joy? Joy, joy, joy. How about some joy? We don't need that. We don't need folks coming around and saying, give me a J, give me a O, give me a Y. What's that spell? Joy, joy, joy. We don't need that. We don't need folks coming around and saying, oh, you got hit by a car? It could have been a bus. Give me joy. We don't need that. Am I talking to the right church? We don't need that. And so James is, is making a statement here, but he's leading somewhere. I, I love what Jesus did with Lazarus. Remember, Lazarus was his friend, and he died. And he knew it was for the glory of God. You remember this? Jesus told the disciples, no, this is, he said, let's go, let's go, let's go see Lazarus. And um, Jesus said, oh, he's sleeping. The disciples said, oh, Jesus, if he's sleeping, that's all good. Matter of fact, hanging around with you, we don't get many naps. That's good if... Lazarus can sleep. He said, no, Lazarus is dead. And he said, we, let's, let's, let's go see Lazarus. And the, one of the disciples said, let's go die with him. Jesus said, this happened for the glory of God and for you. He knew it was going to be for good. Jesus knew that he was going to raise him from the dead. But when he got to Mary and Martha... What did he do? He comforted them and he wept with them. He didn't grab the pom-poms and say, don't you worry. It's all about joy. He comforted them and he wept with them. Y'all doing all right? Because there's a reason for this. It's a reason why he says it counted all joy. And one is to test our faith. He makes that clear. Our faith is, is tested. And, and listen, all of us need that. All of us need our faith tested. All of us need to know a true sense of why we have faith in God. Or it could be pseudo. It could be fake. I, I'm just going to tell you. Some folks have faith in God when everything is going good. But testing our faith is, a, is a, a challenge of whether this is real, of whether God's goodness is happening. You know, faith is like a muscle. Now, I'm just going to tell you right now, for those of y'all who wonder, and I see some of my friends looking at these lightweights, I only brought these for demonstration. I, when Virginia wanted to get the big ones, I said, no, 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 baby, we just leave them there. We'll, we'll just take these light ones. But, but let me just tell you something about the muscle. Every time you go and work out for, for your, your muscles, what's happening here is there's neurons that's telling your muscles to contract. And when that process is going on, the whole idea is the more you push the weight, at the moment, the weaker you get. Because the idea is the muscle fiber is breaking down, and it's supposed to. 
It has to break down first as you're going through the process. Nobody gets stronger. You know, when we was kids, when we would pick stuff up, we would look at our dad or me in my case and my granddad say, look how strong I'm getting lifting something up. That's not really what happens. You don't get stronger while you're lifting the weight. You actually get weaker because it breaks it down. And what over a period of time, after you never get stronger doing, it's after you finished the pressure and the stress on the muscle that the muscle begins to repair itself. One or two hours after, it can last up to 24 hours. So in the process, when, when this 15-pound weight was getting all of a sudden so heavy, if I didn't know the process, I would put that 15 weight down and think, man, the next time I come, I got to go down from 15 because that felt heavier. But the truth of it is, when I come in the next day, I don't grab the 15, I grab the 20. Because when the muscle starts to repair itself, now I'm stronger than I was because I went through the test of the 15 pounds. Uh, Are y'all catching that? And so the whole idea is God is stretching our muscle. And there's times during those trials and those tribulations, it feels like it's going to break us down. And it's supposed to. We use it in weightlifting terms, almost a place of exhaustion where you know you can't move another muscle. But the moment you go through that and get that set done, the good news is, you know, tomorrow I'm going to be able to lift more than I did yesterday. And that's what God is doing in our life of faith. He's preparing us for every day to be a little bit more because trials and tribulations will keep coming. If I use a go stick stick with the weightlifting term, you almost think it's foolish for folks to go in there day after day and abuse themselves. Because they know when they walk in, if you're doing any kind of workout that makes any kind of sense, you're going to hurt when you finish, and you're going to hurt the next day. But this is what you know you're doing. You're getting stronger. That's why as Christians, we don't look for escape mechanism from trials and tribulations. Because we know what it's doing is making us stronger every single day. Am I talking to the right church? Secondly, it's just a matter of growing, James said. We need maturing. We all do. We get comfort. Will, will, will not equal maturity. It's a passage in the book of Amos. I believe it's chapter 6, verse number 1. It says the people of Israel became at ease in Zion. We need a stretching of our faith. We need our muscles to be stretched. We need to grow. We need to learn the process of enduring. That, that whole concept of going through those trials so that they develop us and shape us until the return of the Lord. This is a great verse. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. Trials show that your faith is genuine. You mean me uh, raising the dead don't show that my faith is genuine? That verse says trials. You mean me laying hands on the sick and people being healed? This verse says trials. You mean me leading people to Jesus? This verse says trials. You mean me baptizing people by the hundreds? This verse says trials. Look at your neighbor says trials is what do it. Trials show that your faith is genuine. It's being tested as fire tests and purifies gold through your faith. Your, yes, though your faith is more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, I wish I could help you and find a Greek word that meant something other than many, but it doesn't. 
many trials. It will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. Trials does it. Trials helps us. Trials gets us to that place. And then James says that it perfects us. Now, we know suffering is not good. It, it just, it's not good. It's tough. It's hard. But James is telling us that that's the way that God perfects us. That maturing that comes, that, that depth of relationship that cements our relationship with the Lord. And, and honestly, that should be one of our goals and objectives, living for Christ. There, there's a lot of good stuff in life that we want to shoot for, good grades and good careers and great families and wealth and all of that. That's part of serving the Lord. That's all, that's all good. But none of those are judgment seat issues. None of those are judgment seat issues. Judgment seat issues is when we stand before the Lord and there's a measure of how we lived our life out before him. And that cannot come without trials and without testing. Listen, this is Romans 5.3. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. The key word here is that word endurance. And, and some translations actually might, um, depends on what translation you're reading, it might say the word patience. But it's not quite like patience, like waiting in a doctor's office where there's nothing happening. Some translations may say steadfastness. But the word here is hupomone. It means to remain under. It means to choose to stay. It means not to look for an escape. In other words, it's the this challenge that the scriptures has given us. And James is telling us that when we go through trials and tribulations, we choose to stay there. We choose to endure it. We choose to stay under it. We don't look for a manner and a mechanism to get out from under it. We're not looking for nobody to make it easier. We're not looking for an escape route. We're not looking for somebody to give us an off-ramp. When you go through trials and tribulations, you want to endure because of the promise of the Almighty God and what it's doing in your life. Now, God in his sovereignty is able to determine when that trial and when that tribulation comes to an end, and we need to leave it up to him. Y'all doing all right? I've told you many times about my grandmother baking cakes, and she don't, she do not, she does not, there's so much that she'll give you on a recipe. There's so much she ain't giving you. She ain't telling you. So much she'll write down, and some of it is just by the feel of the hand. But, Grandma, what if my hand ain't the same size as yours? That's your problem. It's the feel of the hand. But the other thing she doesn't do, which, which, you know, we use these things to tell us what the temperature is inside the meat or inside the cake. She don't, she don't do that. My grandma would take a, she, I don't care how modern we get with sweeping floors, she always keeps a broom that has the straw, the straw brooms. Because what she uses to take, test that cake is one of the straws off the broom. She'll pluck that thing off. She'll open up that oven. She'll stick that straw in there. If that straw comes out with still some cake flour and stuff on it, it ain't ready yet. If she sticks that thing in there and it comes out with just a little bit of crumbs, she knows it's there. And, but, but this is what she always says. If you leave it in, if you pull it out too soon, the cake is going to collapse. If you leave it in there too long, it's going to be brittle and it broke up. You better know how to read the straws 
But, but see, she knows. She's the one that's responsible for that cake. It's the same way. Listen, God knows when to pull you out the oven. And he ain't going to pull you out too soon because you're going to collapse. He ain't going to leave you in there too long because you're going to get brittle and burn up. God knows when to pull you out the oven. And you just endure. You just stay there. You stay underneath it. You choose to stay there. I want to show you a quick picture here. Uh, this, is, this, this is, I hope you can see that well. This is called the witness tree. And oftentimes when you're enduring things, you go through a whole lot of stuff. Uh, in life. And just like many trees, trees can bend and not break and endure a whole lot of things. This, this witness tree, the reason I took, a, Tyrone and I took that picture, this tree is in Gettysburg at the, at the battlefield there. That tree has been standing since before the battle of Gettysburg. And it's still standing. That's why they call it the witness tree. It's seen people's lives get shot up. It's endured through uh, um, um, cannon fire. It's endured through storms. It's endured through hail and snow and sleet and rain. It's endured all that and it's still standing. It's living as a witness to say, you can endure this life and still stand strong. We need to be some witness trees. We need to be some folks that endure the challenges of life and can still testify of the goodness of God. Am I talking to the right church? And we know there's nothing fun about it at the moment, but there is a reward. I love this, James 5, 11. We give great honor to those who endure through suffering. For instance, you know about Job, a man of great endurance. You can see how the Lord was kind to him at the end. Now, I'm going to get to that, so hold on to that thought. You can see how the Lord was kind to him at the end, for the Lord is full of tenderness and mercy. And so let me just shoot this passage at you that we just looked at in the message just for another vernacular. You know that under pressure, hear this, your faith life is forced into the open and shows its true colors. I, I just want you to think about that for a moment. If you really want to know how you're showing people how much faith you really have, it's when your life comes under testing. It's not when I'm standing up here preaching a sermon. It's not when I'm leading a life group. It's not when we're laying hands on people. It's not when people are writing newspaper clippings about us. That's not how you show your true colors as a Christian. It's when your life is under pressure. It's when those pressure points come. It's when trials and tribulations hit your life. That's when you show people what your true colors are. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work so you become mature well-developed, and not deficient in any way. Can you say amen? Oh, I'm not done yet. Psych, I got a few more things. Sorry. Uh, just three quick things here. What's the purpose of this? Number one, learn how to ask God for and trust his wisdom. See, that's what James says. He says, if you need wisdom, you ask our generous God. Don't miss that. And he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. I like that. He won't rebuke you for asking. I don't think I spent money time on that in, in, my, in my study, but just the idea of it, just the thought of it. God is, God is not going to uh, be upset with you because you asked him, hey, Lord, I need help through this. Because here's the real issue. The one thing that all of us lack when we go through trials is wisdom. How to handle it, how to respond. 
And James says to ask God, whenever we go through trials, we realize that we really don't know all that's going on. And it's, it's kind of futile to try to figure it out. It really is. God is usually always doing something beyond what you think he's doing. And we got finite, we got finite minds. God's mind is infinite. There's always a greater purpose than what you could come up with. So whenever we walk through trials, we, we don't always realize what's going on. We don't have the knowledge. We don't see the situation from every angle. We don't have the total perspective. And oftentimes, we just lack the experience to walk through it. That's why we need him. That's why we go to God. God possesses all knowledge. He's got all perspective. And if certainly because of what Christ has went through, he's got all experience. So we seek wisdom from God. This is one of the most beautiful, encouraging promises in the Bible that whenever you're going through trials, you can ask God and he will generously give you wisdom. That's a wonderful promise. That's a wonderful passage. He'll give it abundantly. He'll give it liberally, without discrimination, without question, without hesitation. That's who our God is. Knowing him in that manner, that God is generous. He's a God of generosity. He doesn't despise us asking. He doesn't resent us asking. As a matter of fact, he encourages asking. So in the middle of those trials and tribulations, when you don't have the right knowledge, you don't have the perspective, and you don't even have the experience, the best thing to do is just go before the Lord and say, Lord, give me wisdom. Tell me what to do. How do I respond to this? Proverbs 2, 6 says, for the Lord grants wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Somebody say, yay, God. God will give it to you. Here's the second thing. Learn to have single-minded stability. This was a tough section of this, of this passage. It was tough. Uh, and I've preached through James before, and I still kind of a, have a hard time with it because he says, when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. And do not waver, for a person with divided loyalty is unsettled as, as a wave on the sea. And on the, uh, on the one hand, I thought, you know, he's, he's got to be, I mean, we're, he's talking to Christians that have been scattered. You would think automatically that they have faith in God alone. But, but, but this time, I've done a little bit more study on the word that he was using for double-mindedness. And when, I, when, when he said that, I, I got it when I understood that. Because basically double-minded, like I, I thought for the long time it's someone like the guy who asked Jesus to heal his son and, and, and Jesus says, do you have faith? And he says, I have faith, but help my unbelief. I, I thought that's what it was. But then I realized the word actually means almost like dual personalities. Actually, the, the meaning of the Greek word is really two-souled person, but for the sake of us understanding it, it's, it's it's someone with a dual personality. Someone on the, on, the, on the one hand where everything about them talks faith and looks faith, but ultimately they're looking for another way to get in and out of situations. Like faith is totally in God. Y'all understand what I'm talking about? It, you, you, you talk faith, you know faith, you believe in God and all that. But when trials and crises and tribulation come, honestly, you're looking for a rescue or an answer 
from somewhere else. You may not admit that, but that's what's kind of going on inside of you because you, you, you want to trust God, but you're really hoping, man, if there's a way out of this, if there's an answer out of this, if somebody can tell me something or somebody can do something for me and get me out of this, that's the way I would want to go. He says that's a, that's a dual personality person in faith. Dual personality. And he says if, if that's who you are, then you're going to be unsettled as a wave on the sea. You're going to be riding high like a wave, but you know that wave can come crashing down or that wave can get shifted or that wave can be moved. Tides come in and tides go. And, 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 and you put God in a bad situation because he says he can't, he can't help you. He can't help you. If you don't have total trust in him, if your loyalty is divided between God and the world, then you're going to be unstable in everything you do because you don't have total confidence in God as much as we look like faith, talk like faith, want to help everybody else with their faith. But when we hit crises and troubles and trials and tribulations in our life, if we're looking for any other way out or any other person or any other thing to help us, then he says you're, you're living dual personality. Yesterday when I was reviewing this, I thought about something I hadn't thought about in years. And I think, boy, that, that probably does it. Um, you, you know, uh, one time I went to Thailand and I, and I wanted to do a, just kind of go down the river uh, there in Bangkok and just kind of see the river life of people. And the guy that, the, the, the guy that I hired, uh, he had one of those, uh, I, I call them punt boats. I'm not sure if that's the right word. Everybody, they, they're, they're the boats that are real light, and the person stands up and just uses a stick uh, to get you through. Uh, punt boats, uh, yeah. So I, I, uh, so I hired this guy to take me on this punt boat. And, I mean, for all of them people, it looked smooth. You know, they just get on the thing and, you know, just do that, and you just sitting there and chilling. And so the guy told me, so I hired the guy, and he says, okay, um, uh, he said, have you ever got on one of these? I said, no, actually, I n- never have. I'm, I got on boats and little, little boats, but never a pump boat. He said, now, a pump boat is, is a little different. You, you, he said, now, I want you to watch where I'm putting my one foot and then my second foot, and you'll, you won't have to worry about instability. Put the one foot, put the second foot. So he just got right on like, like nothing and then got back off. So I watched him. He did it again, got on, got back off. Well, I stepped on, and you, you know, I'm— I, I don't have a lot of rhythm. I never was a good dancer. Like, I was a guy that would invite the girl to the dance and say, you can dance with anybody else. I just want to be with you, you know, because I couldn't dance, right? So I would just kind of say, not a lot of rhythm, uh, none of that, and, and my balance is not good. Even with all the years of training, I'm just not good with balance. So I stepped on the pump. Now, what, I'm on the dock. Stepped on the pump boat, and my foot didn't go where it was supposed to go. So now the punt boat is starting to move. Now the guy said, just go ahead and put the other foot down. But, but I'm starting to move. I got one here and one there. And all of a sudden, I'm just, oh, God, okay. And the guy said, just put the other foot down. Just put the other foot down. Just and right before I was going to have a, because it's separating. It's nothing but water. Right before I was going to have a separation, I just jumped back over to the dock. Now let me tell you what God is telling us. We, we want to we we ride on the boat with God and we get on the pump boat like I do. Not fully trusting the one who's given us the instructions how to get through. Y'all, y'all, y'all doing all right? That double-mindedness. You got to lean in here and, and, and hear this. 
because God is not just going to get us through trials. That's actually not what his purpose is. God's purpose is actually for the greater good and glory for our eternity. I want you to follow this. Listen, 1 Peter 3, 1 Peter 1, 3 through 6, and I'm just about done. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again. Listen, because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectation and we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you. That, that should have been an amen moment right there. We got a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled. Hear this, beyond the reach of change and decay. That's what God has done for us in our salvation. Watch this. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. So truly be glad. Here it is. There is wonderful joy ahead, even though you have to endure many trials for a little while. See, that's why James says you can count it all joy because we're thinking the joy is somewhere in the trial or through the trial, and I'm here to tell you, not many trials and tribulations feel good at all, and certainly not suffering. The joy is not intended to come there. The joy is ahead of what the sovereign God is doing for our life for eternity. See, we still trying to get a feel-good religion here on earth, and God has said you ought to be a heavenly Christian having your mind on the things above. Am I talking to the right church? And so we got to lean in here and to grow in God's likeness. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap this up because here's the ultimate purpose of trials. And I'm telling you right now, you better, you better buckle your seatbelt because I'm going to flip this thing wide open because we miss the goals. We don't like so much that in this life, the God who allows us to go through tough stuff don't reward us for the tough stuff here on earth. We don't like that some of the things that we go through, we never have answers to and it never comes out like the way we want or the way we thought but that's because we fix our mind on the wrong purpose of what God is doing in our life and we set ourselves up for constant frustration because we want things fixed we want circumstances fixed we want something else to come up something else to work out something even prove of what God was doing and I'm going to tell you how we mess up with folks so many times. When people are going through stuff, oftentimes we quote this verse, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. And we quote it out of context. We quote it out of context. Because I'm here to tell you, when my child, if people who've lost a child, and you show up at the hospital or you go to the funeral and you say, God gonna work it out for good. How is that good? How is that good? When somebody's lost a mother or a father or a grandmother or their business collapses and you show up and say, well, God gonna work it out for good. How is that good? 
This verse has nothing to do with earthly contextual situations. Watch this. You better buckle up. Watch this. Because he says, for God knew his people in advance. And he chose them to become like his son so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. And having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. This verse has everything to do with eternity. This is what God is saying. It don't matter what kind of circumstances Tyrone's life was born in or he lived through or trials came and tribulation came. God the Father is saying, that ain't even an issue for me because I'm going to tell you this is working out good. What's the good? God knew me. God loved me. God chose me. God saved me. God delivered me. God gave me a salvation. And God glorified me for all eternity. That's the good. The good is my life. The good is my salvation. The good is my inheritance. All this works out for good. I may never get the car back, never get the house back, never get the children back that died, never get the mother back. But I tell you what I got. I got a God in heaven that saved me, glorified me, delivered me, and I get to live with him for all eternity. That's the good. It all works out for my good. Everybody stand if you would. I want to make three appeals here, two appeals actually. Some of you might be right in the middle of a trial. And it's tough. It's rough. I want to pray with you. Certainly don't want to minimize it. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Just want to pray with you now doesn't matter how minimal it may seem to be to some people or how major it may be. It's a trial to you. It's tough. And you need God's wisdom. Just raise your hand. Whatever it is, I'm just going to pray for you right now. Father, you see the hands of people going up who are right now experiencing something, walking through something. Trial, tribulation, a challenge. Something that can overwhelm them, overcome them. Something that can take them right down something that can flip their life upside down. Some of them can't even think about it without crying. Some can't think about it without getting angry. Some can't think about it without trying to find a way to escape. Lord, I'm praying by your goodness and your grace that you would minister to them right now. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, Father, give them wisdom. Give them wisdom. Show them, Lord God what it is you want them to do. You're the one with all knowledge. You see, you have total perspective and you certainly through Christ have experienced suffering. I pray that you give them wisdom, strength, confidence, and endurance. In Jesus' name, amen. Head still bowed and eyes still, still closed for just a moment. Let me, let me just say this about anybody here. The Bible says that we can count this all joy and that he will work these things out for good. But he's talking about our life in him. And I'm just going to be straight honest with you. If you're here and you haven't given your life to Jesus Christ, if you, if, if you haven't made a, a conscious decision that you're going to trust the creator of the planet to guide your life, 
that he's the sovereign God that can help you, help you to overcome things that are tough, help you to walk through seasons of life, overcome that guilt that you're suffering or that shame or maybe the abuse, abuse of others, abuse of yourself, just the sin that's, that's worked in your life that you know is leading you to emptiness and leading you to nowhere. I, I want to tell you straight up, I, I want you to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I want you to live a life that your sins are, are forgiven and that you can have a hope of eternity. I, I, want you to, I want you to know what it's like to have the Spirit of God living in you, being a new person, a new creation where your mind is different, your heart is different, the way you think, the way you act, the way you behave. Your tastes, your desires are different. Jesus can do that. Jesus can do that. And if, and if you're here and, and, you, and you can be honest and you can have courage and say, I'm, I'm, I'm one of those ones that have not allowed the Lord, the risen Savior, to be the Lord of my life, and I want to make that choice today. If that's you, just raise your hand. So I want to make that decision today to make Jesus my Lord. God bless you. God bless you. I want to make that choice to make Jesus my Lord. God bless you blessings to you now I'm gonna I'm gonna pray and, and I'm gonna ask the prayer team to come and those of you that raise your hand that you want to make Jesus as Lord I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you to have the courage just to come let someone pray with you and the altar though is open for other things if you want prayer for someone just to join you in in, in life circumstances to pray with you if you need healing in your body if you've given your life to the Lord and haven't get, gotten baptized, you can let one of these dear people know and we'll make sure that you, you have the same joy that Elvia had today and Gabriel and Angie by uh, confessing publicly that Jesus Christ is their Lord, that work of baptism that identifies you with Christ. If you haven't been filled with the Spirit and you want to be, you can. If, if it's just a matter of praying over you for something in your life, whatever's happening, the altar is open. Those of you that want to make that commitment to Jesus, come. Let one of these dear people know I'm giving my life to Jesus today and we'll follow up on you. Father, I thank you for being a great and glorious God and we do love you and we thank you for being so good to us. You are faithful, you are wise, and you are holy and we trust you. Lord, there's some that's lifted their hands today to say they want to give their life to Jesus. Lord, you finished the work that you're starting by your spirit. Some, Lord God, we've prayed over to help them through these trials and tribulations. Lord, do a great work. And Lord, for all of us, Lord God, as we seek to know you better, help us, Lord God, to endure our trials for it increases our faith or test our faith, Lord God. It helps us grow and we want to be lacking nothing. We thank you for it. We trust you to be glorified in Jesus' name. May the people of God say amen.